Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension in Macomb, Illinois. And today we are talking about ornamental landscaping, plants, picking things out. Uh, and I am joined today by our trusty co-hosts. We have Katie Parker down in Quincy. Hello, Katie. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Oh, I can't complain right now, but it's going to get cold tonight, so... Yeah, Ask me again is. tomorrow. Yeah. It's already cooled off quite a bit here. Yep. Yep. The winds have really picked up from the north and we're just we're just waiting for that frost to happen pretty much. Oh yeah. And also joined by Ken Johnson. Ken is in Jacksonville, Illinois. Hello, Ken. Good morning. Better get those blankets out. That's right. <laughs> Getting all the old bed sheets out. <laughs> and since we are talking about ornamental landscaping, one of the best minds that I know about this here at U of I Extension. Uh, we have Martha Smith. Martha, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning. Uh, it's nice to be here. I, I, The wind with the frost, let's hope the wind keeps up and that the frost won't settle tonight. That can be our best, best hope. And yeah, I think that's kind of fingers crossed what I'm hoping will happen. I still do have some blankets out on some, some Tomatoes that I might have transplanted a little bit too early. Our, our podcast last week on tomatoes got me a little anxious and I put them in the ground. So uh, as long as the wind doesn't blow those blankets off, we will be okay, hopefully. Mm -hmm. um, but we have Martha here to talk to us a little bit about uh, kind of what's going on out in the landscape. Uh, we want, we've been focusing a lot on vegetable gardens. We want to talk about ornamental landscaping today. And I want to start out by by asking Martha, because her yard is, it's this oasis, it's this paradise. I love visiting it every time I'm in her neck of the woods. Um, so I want to ask Martha, what's going on What's going on in your yard right now? Do you have things in bloom? What's What are you looking at in terms of plants? Well, tulips have been stunning this year. Uh, I'm just seeing the tail end of some of my tulips. Uh, daffodils, some of my later daffodils are coming on, my grape hyacinths, my uh, aliums. I have about five different types of aliums and they are getting ready to burst. I mean, I've got some that three feet tall and hopefully with a little bit of warm weather next week they're going to be in their full glory. Uh, peonies, uh, tree peonies, I'm glad they're still in tight bud because if we do get frost tonight that usually wipes out the blooms for this year. Crab apples are stunning. I also have a blue mist shrub, a fothergilla. Uh, with its like bottle brush flowers that smell like lemons. That's in full bloom. Hostas are coming up. You know, this time of year, when things come up in the spring, everything is neat and tidy in its own space, and everything just looks so green. So I, I just love the colors as they're, as they're popping out this time of year. Um, other than that, uh, trees are leafing out. I'm looking right now at my American fringe tree that is just beginning to bud. That'll be in full bloom in about two weeks. My uh, uh, black gum, my tupelos, just starting to bud. So it's spring. Hey, Martha, just to give listeners uh, perspective, where are you located in the state? I live in Monmouth, Illinois. So uh, 
western part of the state, probably a little northwest part of the state. And I am just a little bit south of Martha in Macomb, Illinois, and, and we are actually in a new house that we moved into last October, so we're not quite sure what all we have in our yard, but we have found peonies. We have found lots and lots of columbine, which just seems to be popping up everywhere. Um, and that's in bloom, and the hummingbirds have already started visiting the flowers. And probably my wife's favorite thing that we have found, we have a yellow-flowered iris, which are just starting to open. So hopefully the cold weather doesn't impact those too much as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That iris, I was just, I was up in the Quad Cities yesterday, and I went by one of our um, gardens, and some of the bearded iris were, were blooming, and it was it was very nice, very nice. Katie, do you got any plants uh, of, of note in your yard? Yeah, there's a lot of similarities with what you guys are seeing. Our peonies are starting to open up. Um, our lilac just started blooming maybe uh, last week. And so that's that's looking really pretty and fragrant. Um, we also have some creeping flocks that's in its beautiful stage. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a cool time of year to see everything growing. Um, and it's interesting too, because I think I'm the furthest south of all of us. Um, and our irises aren't anywhere near um, getting ready to bloom. Uh, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It looks like maybe after this week, it's going to warm up a bit and see what else is going to start blooming. Oh, I also forgot dandelions are blooming. <laughs> That's one we can't miss. <laughs> oh, I love them. I, uh, our pine tree that we have, we have a white pine, and all underneath it are these blooming purple violets. And I love violets. And it's just this little carpet of purple underneath the white pine. So while it might be a weed to most people, I really like it where it's at right now. So Ken, what do you have going on in your yard? Any nice flowering plants or has the new puppy destroyed it all? <laughs> new puppy hasn't. We've we've fenced off a lot of stuff so the new puppy can't destroy stuff. Um, see, so our columbine are, are blooming. I'm walking around the neighborhood, all the dogwoods um, are blooming. Um, like Katie mentioned, lilacs are starting to go. Uh, some of the the iris we have, they're setting up their flower stalks. Nothing's open yet, but they're setting up their stalks. Um, peonies are <clears throat> starting to show a little bit of color, but not probably not going to be opening for a little bit still. Um, dandelions, yeah, those are those are nicer. I've got some nice, lovely patches of creeping Charlie in the backyard that are in full bloom, nice and purple and. A lot of our violets, um, kind of on the on the downward end of the bloom. A lot of them have we've had our real nice display of violet blooms, and they're kind of petering out a little bit. And creeping flocks as well. Ours have been blooming in our yard for probably a few weeks now. So it's really interesting to hear this because yeah, our iris blooms are starting to open up, but and I think it it depends a lot on probably variety, but also ours is in a nice little microclimate. So next to it is our air conditioning unit, and then it's right up against the house, which receives like full sun uh, in that spot. So I'm guessing that's why our iris is just a little bit more accelerated than some of the others. That That's an interesting uh, comment because uh, in my yard, I definitely have a shade side, definitely have a full sun side, and there is that that lag, that difference. So I get to see 
blooms in the full sun, and then I kind of walk around to the shady side, and I know I'm going to have something within the next couple of days. So it's very true about where, where they are in the landscape. So we have Martha on to talk about, uh, you know, making our landscapes beautiful. And these days we have a lot of new gardeners in the world. There's a lot more people, you know, we're obviously staying home. So there's more people growing vegetables. There's more people working in their yards and landscapes. So, and, and also we have to, to note that nurseries, despite some of the restrictions of stay-at-home orders. Uh, a lot of our landscape nurseries are reporting record sales around the state of Illinois. So what do all of these new beginners need to know about creating a, a beautiful landscape, Martha? You know, what, what steps do you recommend that they take? It, looking at your yard, you, you really have to try to think of it as a clean slate. I. I I've worked with so many gardeners over the years where they just can't visualize anything else but what's already there. So if you can think of it as a, as a clean slate and say, think, where, where would I like visual interest? Where do I want to uh, draw the eye? Uh, I always tell people in your backyard living space, uh, you place your chairs one direction just because you always have. I always uh, challenge people, put them in a face another direction. Get another perspective or go and put your lawn chairs out in the back corner and when you go and sit and have your you know beverage of choice and relaxing, you're going to be seeing a different view. And things will start to pop because so many times we don't take the time to do that. So once you find where you want your visual interest, then it's always what type of garden, what size. I always caution um, beginning gardeners when they're putting in an ornamental bed, start small. As you grow in your knowledge and confidence, your gardens will grow. But so many times, you know, spring kicks in and they get out and they, you know, plow up the back 40 and then they've got to plant it and then they have to take care of it and the, the maintenance. And what happens is we've probably lost that person to gardening because that first experience was just so overwhelming. I also, you know, Ken mentioned, you know, walking around the neighborhood, walk around and see what's going on in other people's yards and kind of get a, an idea. Uh, it's always good to start with a color. Maybe you have a favorite color scheme uh, with, with perennials and annuals. Uh, flower color is often the main reason people will select that plant. But think beyond the flower color and start to incorporate foliage. Uh, throughout my garden, I have a lot of yellow tones and blue tones and even some purple tones in the foliage because that's what is going to pull your eye through during those times when things aren't in bloom. Uh, talk with friends and neighbors. I mean, if you've got some gardening friends, well, they always have some plants that they, they're dividing and, and wanting to um, get rid of. And also, it's personal choice. Uh, a garden is a very individualistic thing. I think uh, amongst us today, the four of us 
I could give each of us 20 different plants. We would all arrange them differently based on our situation, based on our likes and dislikes. And there are no truly rights and wrongs. Uh, the only rule I ever give people is tall plant in the back, short plant in the front. Uh, but experiment, have fun. Sometimes the nicest vignette in your garden is happenstance or it's it, it's just the weather that year. So my advice, start small, plant what you like, maybe start with a color scheme. We do have at the University of Illinois Extension um, up on our webpage, uh, there's a program that I wrote several years ago called um, uh, Perennial Land Stepping Stones to Perennial Landscape Design. And I walk you through, it's six short lessons, but I you read through them and it's designed so as you read and as you progress through the lessons, you're working on your project. And I talk about seasonal interest, selecting plants so you have something that's visually appealing spring, summer, fall, and into winter. So if people are interested in a, in a flower garden, really the, the principles could extend to uh, any type of landscape. But that's a great place to start. And we can leave a link to uh, Martha's website, uh, Stepping Stones Perennial Landscaping, mm -hmm. in our show notes uh, below. I have also, when, when I was doing a landscape design course uh, at college, I remember the professor saying, the designer controls the experience of the user. And so, so you as the homeowner who's listening, you know, what are the goals that you have? You know, what do you want to feel when you're out in that landscape? And Martha really just, that's exactly what we were taught to do. Get your chair and, you know, where you normally sit on the patio, try a different perspective and, and observe and, and feel and make notes, uh, you know, while you're drinking your drink of choice. And, and through that informed kind of inventory that you keep, you can build upon a, a pretty good, design or at least you can get some goals that you can fulfill with the design so mm -hmm. that, really good tips well then I also tell people um, look at your landscape and think what do I want this to look like in five years ten years fifteen years um, landscaping my favorite quote is it's the slowest of the performing arts because when you think about it it's changing constantly so what what do you want? What is your eventual goal? Fifteen years down the road, when we purchased our home, we've been here almost 26 years, there was an old shed, and we didn't have the money to do anything with it, but we knew in our long plan, long-term plan, that was going to come down. So we never planted anything permanent. We didn't put an oak tree next to it because we knew in our, our long-term goals. So, you know, here we are 26 years later and my husband and I are now saying, what do we want to take care of in five years, 10 years, and 15 years? So, you know, just realize as gardeners, um, I, I, there's another program I've written called Ages and Stages of Gardening. And this was a program 
I really came up with after so many years of talking with gardeners and how we all have gone through these stages. We've all gone through our rose years, uh, our daylily years, our hosta years, our iris. We kind of go through these these trends over time. Uh, so it's 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 a fun program to give. So as people go to garden centers and they are encountered by these rows and rows of plants and there's just I think for some folks it can feel a little bit overwhelming and, and, and even I think as someone who I call myself a horticulturist when I go to a, a garden center nursery I feel a little bit overwhelmed mm -hmm. um, I, I often say mostly because I see the problems I don't see the plants but um, that, that's that's my own issue but what is what are some tips that uh, homeowners can you know can use to get some good information before maybe they even go to the garden center to pick out that plants what are some good plant selection criteria Martha that that you like to follow well it really uh, depends on the situation you've got to analyze your site if your site is in shade okay then you're when you go to the garden center you're going to have to walk past all those full sun plants because they're, they're, they're not going to do well. Also, when you're at the garden center, hopefully you have um, an idea of the size of the area. And what I've often uh, done, and I, I suggest this to many people, is as you're pulling the plants, if you see something you like, start to stage them. Start to think about how you're going to place them in the garden and then start to think how is this color playing off of this color um, in the stepping stones of perennial garden design I really talk about a lot about having something coming into bloom spring summer and fall so you have that visual interest going through so many times we go in the spring and people just gobble up everything that's blooming so we all have some pretty fantastic spring gardens but then we have to think, okay, what's it going to look like in a month? What's it going to look like a couple months down the road? So at the garden center, ask questions. They're, they, they want you to be successful. They want you to have good luck. And also realize, even as horticulturists, we know Mother Nature is in charge. And sometimes we can plan everything out. We can have the perfect plan in our mind and the best plants and then we get hit with a, a frost or we get the coldest wettest spring or the hottest driest August so as gardeners you have to realize that things are going to change and often when something doesn't do well in my garden uh, it becomes an opportunity because now I've got a space that's open <laughs> and I can fill it and I will I'll find something so you know stage them think about it think about you know as you go through the season and as I said don't start out huge because then you're gonna get overwhelmed I'd agree failure is a part of gardening and I love how you say it it can be such an opportunity to learn and then to put something new and maybe a little bit better in that spot <laughs> Yeah, experiment. Uh, it, it, that's really with a lot of the things I have. Um, you know, I just said, okay, look, I'm going to try this. Sure, I've had failures. Um, a, a 
co-worker of all of us, Elizabeth Wally down in um, St. Louis, uh, we go on our, our plant jaunts, and she has what she calls her dead list. And she, if it's, uh, if, if it's not made it in her garden three times, it's out. So three strikes, they're out. So she takes this list to remind her when she sees whatever that plant in full bloom and just has to have it. Oh, nope, it's on my dead list. <laughs> so I just perfect. find that an interesting concept. Well, now I know. I, I feel like as uh, folks who deal with plants day in, day out, we kind of have those that are close to our heart um, that, that might have a little bit extra significance to us. Um, but are, are there noteworthy plants do we have plants out there that have either won awards or ones that we know will perform well whether we're in northern illinois central or southern illinois is there places we can go to look for that sure uh you know there's lots of award winners out there uh in the annual world um, we have the all america selections we have an Perennial Plant Association has their Perennial Plant of the Year. Um, I believe Missouri Botanic Gardens has their list of award winners. So, yes, they're out there. Uh, but I always say, which ones have really stood the test of time? People will say, oh, everybody has daylilies and everybody has sedum spectabili and everybody has black-eyed Susans. Yes, because they perform well and they don't have a lot of pests and issues and they they'll they'll give you that good visual display but you might see um a new daylily you might see a new color you might see a new uh ruffled flower or two-tone flower so you know that yes there are the old standbys you know throw in a uh, lime green spirea you know, if you want to throw in some woody plants, so you have that, or throw in something in the woody uh, realm that's going to have a fall color or interesting bark. So there are there are the stand the standbys, you know, the, the standards that people will will turn to, um, and that's 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 fine. Uh, they are common, and they're common for a reason. They do they do well in the landscape. We also have uh, a couple questions that have come in online. And we are going to dive into those. And this first one here, I think, is, is perfect. I'm really happy Martha is on the show today. Um, so this one comes from Tim in McDonough County. Uh, Tim wants to know, what recommendations uh, do we have for gardening in low spots in the yards? This would be, he says, where water's pooling in the spring, grass can't grow there. Uh, are there any good alternative ground covers that work well with grass, but also... Um, you know, they, it might serve as uh, some type of an eco-beneficial option for uh, kind of wetland areas. So, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. should he just try to tile and drain that area? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with this one, without seeing the actual spot, first of all, is it sun? Is it shade? That's, you have to analyze the site first. And after I was reading this question, the first thing that came to mind is for Tim to start looking into possibly rain gardens. And a rain garden is designed, um, Chris, you can probably explain it better, but um, for runoff where excess water goes and rather than having it just flow out and end up in our um, 
sewers or where we don't want it, the plants catch it and the water has more time to percolate down through. The plants are those that can tolerate wet during you know certain times of the year. I'm thinking we've got Joe Pie weed, um, some of your blue stars, Amsonias, uh, cardinal flower, Lobelia, uh, flag iris. So for that, if if they really want to have something visual in that spot, uh, then I would suggest that they turn to some of the information on rain gardening and. Purdue just had a four-part series on installing a rain garden and explaining the size and how to do it all. Uh, I think that could be a really good um, plan. Unfortunately, if you've ever planted directly into grass, you have lived to regret it because grass is a strong competitor. So in that area, they would have to remove the grass and then install one of these gardens that can tolerate the wet. That would be my suggestion. Yeah, I think rain garden seems to really uh, pop in my mind. Uh, and, and with all of these uh, rain gardens, we call them uh, stormwater uh, mm-hmm. kind of control devices. And uh, the biggest thing is that you always plan for overflow. Um, and, and there's a lot of information that we could get into. We could probably have a whole show on rain gardens alone, uh, you know. But but you know, we're not going to be digging a pond in the backyard. These are shallow depressions that are supposed to dry out, typically within 24 hours. But you can extend that up to 48 hours. Um, but they're supposed to drain, and you also have to plan for an overflow event because. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's going to happen. We're going to get that six-inch rainfall in an hour. Uh, it's it's going to happen this year or five years from now. And the last thing you want that thing to happen is for it to back up from your where your gutters or your downspouts may, might be entering that area into your basement. So making sure mm-hmm. that you have that overflow flow planned. And sometimes that can get into some significant earthwork and grading effort. So... Um, it, it you can spend as much as you want on landscaping, isn't that right, Martha? I mean, pretty much sky's the limit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it depends on your budget, uh, how much mm-hmm. you want to dedicate to this. Um, if it is in a shaded area, uh, you do have to be careful if you're dealing with tree roots and things like that, and digging down and excavating that, um, and and also making sure that the trees will be conducive to that type of uh, uh, the type of a garden setting that would be in its root system. Uh, it, more than likely, since it's already wet there, they should be okay. But, you know, feel free. You can follow up with uh, a species and uh, let us know kind of what you're dealing with. Some of the, uh, that can take the, the wet soils. Um, also, uh, the lobelia. Lobelia can, it can, you know, take wet. But also, you know, Tim has to decide what he wants for that spot. It sounds like maybe he wants turf more than flowers. Okay, then maybe tillage and you know, the drainage putting in would work for the, for him. Also, if this is just a low spot that is not anywhere um, visually a- attractive, okay, is it just something that's going to happen in the spring and then 
it'll just be whatever it is for the rest of the season. Uh, so many times people will fixate on an area that, that they perceive to be as the problem, but they're not looking at the big picture. How is that going to blend with the overall goal of your landscape? So many times, Chris, you mentioned new homeowner, new landscape. I, it, they, people get into their homes and they just want to get out. And you got to wait. you got to go through a kind of a year to see what's going on with, with your spot rather than that first knee-jerk reaction of, oh, there used to be a tree here. There's a big opening. I'm going to put a flower bed there. That might not be the best spot. So I guess it really depends for, for Tim. What is his ultimate goal for that spot? Yeah, I, I agree. I think, and that's sort of what we're doing this year with our home is we're just kind of it's the wait and see season and i feel like you have to mow your grass for at least one summer so that you can know how you want your beds positioned because for me it's it's all about how can i make my mowing easier and less um and so i that's what i'm doing right now i mow the lawn i'm like hmm man, this is really tough to mow right here. Uh, man, I guess a garden bed might work well here. And so I'm, I'm kind of strategically planning over the course of an entire year uh, positioning where my garden beds will be going. What you can also do is uh, set, I don't know if you've got like a, a statue or something, put something in that area that's going to you know attract your attention throughout the year and see if you like that see if you'd like the view going going to that spot um and oh i can i can help you fill your landscape chris <laughs> coming on down martha come on down <laughs> <laughs> so i've been in my house for, we've been in our house for four and a half years and we're just now getting around to doing a lot of our kind of big landscaping stuff and that that's why is i in you don't know when you're new to that home. You don't know is it going to be wet in the spring. You don't know is that soil going to be rock hard clay come August. So I know I know it's hard, and especially as as horticulturists, we want to get out. But I tell people, nope, stay in. You know, do the stuff you need to do indoors, paint the bedrooms and all that. Which brings up a, another point of when you're trying to place a garden is. Also, what are the views from inside the house? Because, you know, August, it's hot. July, August, we're inside with air conditioning. In the wintertime, you know, what do, what do you want to see from maybe a, a bay window or a sliding patio door or a picture window? So not only standing in your garden, but think about the views from inside. So, you know, I've worked in the industry. I was a landscape designer. Uh, and, yeah, people... They have these ideas um, that they that they put forth, uh, and sometimes you know you kind of have to walk them through all of the possibilities and you know make the suggestions. And you know, as a designer, and Chris, you were saying when you studied design, again, we could all four of us look at the same piece of property and design it differently. There's some design shows on television and there was one where the homeowner worked with three different designers and then the designers would present it to the the family and they were also different and I've had master gardeners and other gardeners you know say well which one's right well no they're 
there isn't a right or a wrong because it's personal taste. It's going to be whatever is more appealing to that homeowner. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a process. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, I think the whole thing of coming up with different design schemes that would just be more confusing to me because I would want to do a little bit of each. I would think it's like, I like that part. I like that part. I like that part. Now, now you three merge together and turn into one beautiful design. Well, in your space, as you're, as you're mowing, you can think about the way you want the beds to flow. And that's where I always, you know, recommend getting the garden hose out and line out with the garden hose where you think you want these spaces. And maybe you want something that's going to butt out a little bit more in one spot and then go in. Um, and then get out your mower, make sure that you can mow those curves, because a lot of times people will put in these dramatic jutting peninsulas, and the first time they go to mow it, they can't, because their mower can't get that tight radius, and now you've, uh, now you have a maintenance issue with that. But I like the garden hose, lay it out, step back, go back to the house, how does it look? It's a lot easier to move a hose than to start digging and go, oops. So it's just, just just a tip, and then once you have it where you want, uh, spray paint it, spray paint that line, uh, and then remove your turf, which can be done a number of ways, work up your soil, and when you get your plants, I always recommend don't plant them, place them where you visually see them, step back. How does it look? Because, again, it's a lot easier to move a one-gallon perennial than it is planting it and then having to move it. So just, just some very simple ideas and tips. And we will leave links to different rain garden topics in the show notes down below. Uh, and so, uh, Tim, if you're listening, feel free. You can follow up with me uh, if you have further questions after this. All right, we have our next question. This comes from Jamie. Jamie, she's in Knox County. Uh, this is somewhat of a trending topic right now. Uh, Jamie wants to know, what is the deal with these murder wasps? Do we need to be concerned? All right, so murder wasps is a little bit of a, a misnomer, a little bit of a sensationalism uh, going on. Um, so these are the Asian giant hornet. Um, so these are native to primarily Japan, but some other places in Asia. Um, they're actually the largest hornet in the world. Um, and last year, uh, some a colony was found in British Columbia, um, and then it was one individual hornet was found in Washington State. Um, and kind of the big, all the hubbub right now is going on is because if any of those wasps were, were to survive, so they went in and eradicated that hive that was found in um, Canada. But if any of those wasps survived, um, if any of the, they produced any um, queens that overwintered, this is the time of year they would be overwintering, so they're kind of going out now, um, monitoring for those, searching for those, um, seeing if any, any of them have established. Right now, they're, they're not known to have established anywhere in the U.S., um, so they're kind of monitoring for that and see if that's the case. Um, here in Illinois, it's not something we have to worry about. Again, they're only, they've only been found in Washington State um, and in Canada. Um, but I know I've gotten numerous questions this week. I'm sure everybody else, um, the rest of you have as well, um, about these. A lot of people are getting these confused with 
um, European hornet, um, and that's been around in the U.S. since the 1800s. Um, cicada killers, bald-faced hornets, some of our native wasps um, are also being confused with these. These are, are larger wasps, but they're not as large as Asian giant hornet. Um, but people are still getting uh, confused with them. Um, kind of the, the one concern with Asian giant hornet is that um, they will attack honeybee hives. So in the fall, when they are producing their their queens that are going to go overwinter and start new colonies the next year, uh, the males and stuff like that, they'll go out um, and attack honeybee colonies. Um, what they'll do is they'll get into the hive, they'll cut their heads off, um, and then take the bodies off and feed those uh, to their larva. Um, so that's kind of where like, the murder comes from. They, they can decimate a honeybee hive. Um, that really only happens in the fall during the spring and stuff. They'll feed on other insects and stuff um, as well. And the adults, they're feeding on um, nectar and stuff like our, our other wasps that we have um, here. So the, the adults are not out to get you. They're not going to murder you. Um, like any other wasp, they're going to leave you alone unless you disturb them. Um, you start swatting at them. You step on them. Um, you get too close to their hive stuff like that. So at this point, it's nothing to be concerned about, um, especially here in Illinois. I thought it was just another reason to stay inside. So uh, looks like Ken has dispelled all the all the myths and given us the truth. So thank you, Ken, for that. Um, and I'm sure we can link to even more information about uh, some of the the press releases that are coming out from different university sources on this topic if folks still have questions. Washington State University and uh, Washington Department of Agriculture have some good information um, on what they look like and comparing them to kind of similar kind of large wasps and stuff on how to tell them apart. All right, then our next question. This comes from Jim. Uh, Jim's in McDonough County, and he has weeds and grass in his strawberry patch. Uh, do we have any recommendations for weed control for the spring uh, for strawberries? So, uh, Katie, what do you think? Yeah, so Jim has a couple options. Um, we do have herbicides to use on dicot species, which is uh, what the strawberry is, um, to control monocots or grass species. So he could spray uh, those herbicides that would control the grass species. A couple options with that is um, one commonly used is post, another one select, um, and you can work with a local retailer to get those herbicides. Uh, you can also look at some generics and see if you can find something cheaper. Uh, if you don't want to go the chemical route, uh, hand weeding is probably your next best option or cultivating um, to control those weeds at this point. Yep, I always say they call them strawberries for a reason. Straw mulch does help a lot, especially when you're coming into this time of the year where your winter annuals are kind of fading out and your summer annuals are just starting up and that straw mulch can help keep a lot of them down. All right, and finally, we have our last question. This comes from uh, Arthur in McDonough County, and he wants to spray his apple tree to keep the bugs off. Now, what bugs? I'm not quite sure. Um, so what should he use? And I'll just note that uh, right now this tree is currently in full bloom. So I don't know, Ken, do you think this is a... Something he needs to be spraying right now? So yeah, if it's in full bloom, it's, it's you don't want to be spraying uh, for insects because you, you start killing off, you start spraying your insecticides on there. There's a good chance you're going to kill off your pollinators, and you're not going to get um, good pollination on your apples. Um, probably he's going to have to wait, um, probably until we get uh, um, 
Oh, probably pedophile is usually kind of when you would typically start spraying again. So after a good chunk of your flowers have, have started dropping their petals, it would be okay to start spraying again. Um, and then you can use something like a one of the multi-purpose fruit sprays. So those are going to have an insecticide in there. They're also control, have some uh, fungicides in there, which can give you control of some of our, our fungal diseases as well. Yep, Arthur, so just enjoy the blooms right now. Uh, pretty much the only thing you could uh, that's at least listed on the label for spraying would be something like a, a fungicide by itself. Uh, no multi-purpose tree fruit sprays, no insecticides at this point. All right. Well, I want to thank Martha for being on our show today. Thank you, Martha, so much. I, it, was a, it was a pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Well, we hope to have you back uh, soon. And thank you, Katie and Ken, also, as always, for being here and lending your expertise. It was fun. Let's do it again next week. Yeah. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. Excellent. And I want to thank everybody for listening. And so, as always, keep on growing. And thanks for listening.